Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Bill McGavern of the Coalition for Clean Air. Uh, and speaking of clean air, the air does seem to be a bit better, even in the, in the midst of this pandemic. Uh, fewer people are out and about, and some industries, it seems, have throttled back. Some businesses are slowing down. And I'm wondering if, Bill, if you're seeing the same thing, and is this a permanent condition or does it disappear as soon as, as, soon as we all get back to normal? Well, we definitely saw during the early spring that the air was very clear across California and in many other parts of the world. And uh, I definitely do attribute that in part to the stay-at-home orders and or whether people were doing it because they were ordered to or just because they were being safe. There certainly was a lot less driving. And in California, the vast majority of our air pollution comes from transportation. But another factor was the weather that we were having in the early spring. We, we had some rain after a fairly dry winter and some wind, and that helped a lot too. Now, in more recent weeks, we've seen the air quality has remained good in Sacramento and I think most of Northern California. But in Southern California, actually, the smog has crept back and they have been in violation of health standards. And I think one of the main reasons for that is that uh, although there's been less driving, I think that the driving has, has come back some, but actually the biggest source of air pollution in California isn't from our personal vehicles, it's from the movement of goods. And the, the truck traffic and the ships really never went down that much because we're still using goods, maybe in, in sort of different ways than we were before, but there's even more deliveries than ever before to residences. And so those diesel trucks on the road, uh, as well as ships docking off the shores of Los Angeles and Long Beach, have kept the air pollution uh, at unhealthy levels in the, the South Coast area for many of the recent weeks, and that will probably only get worse as we're now into the summer and, and it's plenty hot. Uh, so Bill, did the businesses or the trucks violate the rules by, uh, you know, they have this excessive amount or, or a usual amount of emissions, I guess? Oh, right, no, they weren't violating the rules or anything. And, you know, we all, we all wanted to have our grocery stores stocked um, and a lot of people were ordering more goods to home rather than going out and getting them. So, you know, we've seen reports of small downturns in freight traffic, but in general, uh, those are essential businesses and they haven't gone down by very much. Uh, Bill, we spoke earlier about uh, the Air Resources Board having a major decision coming to grips with a major issue tomorrow on trucks, uh, trucks and emissions. What exactly is going on there? What do you expect to happen? Yeah, this is a really momentous decision that ARB is facing tomorrow, and I do expect it to go well. It's what they call the Advanced Clean Trucks Rule. And what this will be is the first ever zero emission truck requirement anywhere in this country. 
and it would tell the manufacturers of trucks that they have to sell a certain percentage of their vehicles in California as zero tailpipe emission. And that can be either battery electric or hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles. And the percentages, this would start in 2024, and the percentages would, would escalate over the years. So we start to see some really major numbers by the latter part of this decade. And that's essential to replacing those diesel trucks with really clean advanced technologies. Uh, and that really goes to exactly what I was talking about, that the biggest source of our air pollution is trucks. And this is one of a number of measures that the Air Resources Board is taking to clean up truck pollution. What percentage of trucks on the road right now are, are clean trucks? I don't know that I've ever seen one. It's a very small percentage right now. Um, I do see here in downtown Sacramento, sometimes the delivery trucks are zero emission electric trucks. Uh, and there, there are a, a number that are commercially available, but in terms of the long haul heavy duty trucks, uh, those are almost all diesel. Some are compressed natural gas, which is a whole lot cleaner. And there's some in the demonstration stage now that are zero emission electric trucks. But we, we need to get those numbers up and that's why it's important to have the government set a standard. You know, when we talk about uh, zero emissions, we always think of electricity, electric powered batteries, but fuel cells are out there too. And you'd mentioned those, but fuel cells, they seem so esoteric and exotic. Are they really out there? Are they applicable to trucks? I know there are cars out there with, that use fuel cells, Honda Clarity, for example, but how about trucks? Yes. I mean, in terms of cars, there are now over 7,000 hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicles in the state of California. Trucks, there are some being demonstrated now uh, down at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. They still are in that demonstration stage, but a lot of the experts think that hydrogen fuel cells might ultimately be the preferred solution for our heaviest of trucks because they, they might be more efficient than having to put a lot of batteries into those trucks. Now, there are others who disagree, so it's good that there's competition among the two types of zero emission trucks. Uh, Bill, on that ARB decision, do you have any uh, notion how the board will act? Uh, what, uh, any idea, any indication? Are they sending any signals on their decision? And if so, uh, what, would that, what would that mean? They have, and I'm actually very confident going into tomorrow because what ARB does for every major regulation, they have at least two hearings. And the initial hearing in December, there's a lot of, of public comment on both sides and we heard from the board members. And what we actually heard from the board members in December was that they wanted the rule to be stronger than what the staff had brought to them. So the staff went back, took that board direction and, and strengthened the rule so that we're now much more happy with it. And, and we have good reason to think that the board will be approving it tomorrow, which will be fantastic. Would that decision be final? Or are there other hurdles, you know, court suits out there uh, or if they do it tomorrow, does it take effect in 2024? Um, it, it has to go through the Office of Administrative Law procedure that all regulations do, but I would say a bigger hurdle would be 
it will need to get a waiver from the federal government, from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. And uh, I think, you know, whether that happens or not very much depends on this November's election. You know, California is the only state that has the authority to set vehicle standards that are stronger than the federal government standards. We've used that authority dozens of times over the years, and it's only been really controversial twice. Uh, the, the George W. Bush administration denied a waiver for clean cars, and uh, then the Obama administration granted that waiver. And now we have the Trump administration actually revoking the waiver for clean cars. So uh, I'm sure that ARB would not want to go to a Trump administration with a waiver request. If there's a new president next year, then I think that would look a lot better. What about the costs of, um, of having zero emission big rig trucks? I understand electric trucks do cost a lot more. Um, and I'm wondering, is that... Is that the industry, if there is any opposition from the industry, is that it? Or from truckers, is it the cost, the initial cost of these vehicles? Well, if we're looking at big rigs, the electric trucks clearly have much higher uh, purchase costs. But over the lifetime of the vehicles, the total cost of ownership is lower because of the savings on fuel and also on maintenance. The electricity is significantly cheaper than diesel fuel, and in addition to that, electric engines have so few moving parts that the maintenance costs are much lower than they are with diesel engines. Hey, Bill, we mentioned, um, we talked earlier about SB 743, uh, which is in effect, and a piece of this takes effect, I believe, July 1st, I think you mentioned earlier. Uh, what does it do? It, 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 it tends to curtail sprawl, as I understand it. Yeah, now this is an obscure but important law. So this actually is not a bill. This is a law that was passed in 2013. And uh, interestingly, at the time, SB 743, which was authored by Daryl Steinberg, uh, it got a lot of attention because it was the bill that basically short-circuited the judicial process so that the King's Arena could get built on time. And what very few people noticed was it had another provision, which will be, once implemented, very effective in, in curbing sprawl and helping to build infill development. And, you know, e even though implementing the, the law on this part only took, you know, moving paper around, the King's Arena has now been in existence for several years but the anti-sprawl provision is only about to go into effect next week on July 1st. And what it will do is it will mean that when local governments are considering new developments, right now, the way that they analyze impacts on traffic is basically if this new development is going to slow down traffic on the road at all, then that counts against it. So that basically favors suburban greenfield development and it's an obstacle to building in our already urbanized areas. This new change, which started under the Brown administration and is now being fulfilled by the Newsom administration, will change that to favoring projects that reduce 
miles traveled by our vehicles. So it'll make us more efficient, reduce congestion, and reduce pollution that comes with vehicle travel, and will help to revitalize areas that are already urbanized, whether they be downtowns or older suburbs, and so that instead of continually sprawling out onto open lands, we'll be reinvigorating the communities where people already live, and that'll improve our quality of life, should mean ultimately less time spent in the car in traffic uh, so that we can do things that are, are more enjoyable in life. And this isn't a this isn't a housing this isn't housing legislation per se or a housing law per se. It doesn't deal with density or single family units versus multifamily units. This at least not directly, is that correct? Right. It it does not address the housing or the zoning directly the way that, uh, for example, Senator Wiener's bills have been doing, but it will take down that obstacle to infill development um, by making this change in the metric by which traffic is is analyzed. So it it should actually help in in building more housing in areas that are already developed. Uh, Bill, looking ahead this year, uh, in terms of environmental legislation or um, anything on the ballot, or what are the issues that, that you're looking at that you expect to come up this year that are going to be sort of major issues on your plate? Uh, I think a, a lot of the focus for air quality advocates is on is on funding. And obviously, it's a bad budget year, and that's affecting air quality programs like it's affecting everything else. Uh, And the reason why we need investments to help clean up our air is they complement the regulatory standards. So for example, I talked about the advanced clean trucks rule, which we're very enthusiastic about, but in order to hasten the turnover from the dirtier trucks we have on the road now to the cleaner trucks and to, to help keep advancing those technologies, it really helps to have some incentive funding available. And in recent years, uh, the state's been fortunate to have a fair amount, it's never enough, but it's had a fair amount of incentive funding available. And that's funded, for example, those demonstration projects that I talked about with hydrogen and battery electric big rigs. So now with the, uh, the state's cap and trade auction cratering in May, uh, there's less funding available. So we're looking for creative ways to, to try to come up with some money for those investments. And uh, other than that, I would say a lot of the action is not as much in the legislature as it is at the Air Resources Board, where there are a number of other rulemakings coming up this year, which will help reduce pollution from everything from other ways of reducing truck pollution to trying to reduce the pollution from lawn and garden equipment, like leaf blowers and lawn mowers uh, that we have creating noise and pollution right in our neighborhoods. And fortunately, there's zero emission equipment available that uh, doesn't pollute at all and is also a lot quieter. Hey, Bill, on that note about uh, things that are creating uh, pollution, can you talk at all about 
Airline traffic, you know, I understand that airplanes create a tremendous amount of air pollution, and I really don't see that much about that. I also don't have a sense of, of how that compares to, say, auto traffic, you know, regular commuter traffic, and also compared to commercial traffic that you were talking about earlier. What what can you tell us about airplane traffic, and has that gone down since we've hardly been traveling in the pandemic? Has that really impacted uh, air quality? Uh, air, airlines do create a lot of greenhouse gas pollution. Uh, they're a, a growing source of global warming pollution. From an air quality perspective, the, the airports and not only the planes, but a lot of the ground support equipment that's used at airports makes them a significant source of air pollution, particularly for surrounding communities. Uh, we have seen definitely a decrease in air travel during the pandemic, and that may go on for a while. Uh, unfortunately, the state has very little authority over the airplanes themselves. The federal government has preemption, uh, although the state is offering incentives for use of alternative jet fuel, which is cleaner. And the Air Resources Board also does regulate the, uh, the equipment that's used on the ground at airports, and in fact recently passed a regulation that will require that airport shuttles ultimately transition to being zero emission. But something that I like to point out to people is that when they're ordering packages online, they can help by thinking in advance a little bit and not ordering that you know, same day or next day delivery, which is going to have to happen by air. And instead, you know, choosing the one that may take several days, which will go by ground travel, which is significantly less polluting than the air freight. Uh, Bill, you talked about the cap and trade uh, program uh, cratering. And uh, for a number of years around here, that's all people wrote about was cap and trade and AB 32 and climate change and the, the carbon, uh, you know, the marketplace, the credits, uh, the allowances. Is the program in trouble, or is this a temporary thing? I assume it's because businesses are throttling back, maybe at least curtailing their actions, and there are less emissions out there, less to, less to buy and sell. Right, right. So, and, and there is some news on, on that front. So, first of all, I want to distinguish. It's not that the cap-and-trade program has cratered, because the program is a regulation. The cap is in effect. Um, there, there are questions as to whether the cap is tight enough. And then in addition to that, the, the auctions of the allowances, those did not sell very much at all at the last auction, which was last month. And, and that is for the, the reason that you alluded to, uh, because of the recession, the, uh, the polluters don't need to buy nearly as many allowances. So because of that, they didn't have to buy them from the state, and so very few of them sold. Now, we've seen this before where the, the auctions go up and down, and they've been mostly up. But um, there have been some you know, very well-informed experts as well as advocates who have been calling for a re-examination of the program design because a number of us think that there have been too many allowances uh, given away, and that it's going to jeopardize our chances of 
getting the emission reductions that are, are promised by law. So uh, the recent development is the legislature in its budget proposal actually wanted to instruct the Air Resources Board to reconsider the program design. The administration did not go along with that, but the compromise was Cal EPA Secretary Jared Blumenfeld sent a, a letter to Senator Bob Wykowski, who's been leading this effort, and promised to re-examine the cap-and-trade program over the course of the next two years as the Air Resources Board updates its master plan for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So for a lot of us, that's an opportunity and one we're going to be following up on. Uh, and in fact, it's the subject of a call that I'm having uh, at three o'clock. Uh, you can tell us about that call, I hope, right? It might be subject for another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll fill you in later. <laughs> Great. Bill McGavern, thank you very much. Sure. Tim Foster, thank you very much. And this is John Howard, and we will talk to you next time around. Take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Bye-bye.